Hello, and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and wow, we are 26 weeks into the Trump presidency, halfway through the first year. Do I think he'll reach the end of this year? Yes, I do. Frankly, I think there's a decent chance he'll reach the end of his first term. Why? Because no matter what dirt we find out about him, and I'll be talking later about how much more dirt there might be, no matter how much dirt we dig up, I don't think Republicans will ever stand up to Trump. Remember, even if we win back the House in 2018, and even if that Democratic majority manages to impeach Trump, we still need two-thirds of the Senate to kick him out of office. And it's hard to imagine a scenario where Trump can't garner at least 34 Republican votes. This is one of the most important and undertold stories of the Trump presidency, how deeply he has captured the Republican Party. I want to give an example from this week. Congresswoman Barbara Lee passed an amendment to a defense uh, appropriations bill in committee to rescind the authorization uh, for the use of military force that Congress passed after 9-11. It was a big deal. Something like that had never passed a committee before. And the AUMF has gone from authorizing a response to the 9-11 attacks to being a blank check for the president to attack pretty much anyone, anywhere. Both Bush and Obama abuse that power, and of course Trump is abusing it too. It is time, past time, for the AUMF to be rescinded and for Congress to take back real oversight. But even though Lee's amendment made it through committee, Speaker Paul Ryan just stripped it out, single-handedly took it out of the bill. What he did in that moment was say, I trust Donald Trump to unilaterally make all decisions for our military with virtually no oversight from Congress. We're not talking about the president's appropriate and constitutional role as commander-in-chief. We're talking about what has become pretty much unlimited power for the president when it comes to the military. And no, that didn't start with Trump. But Ryan just said he trusts Trump with that power when he had a chance to put a vote before Congress to limit it. So what does that tell you about the Republicans' ability to stand up to Trump? No matter what he says or does, there are always Republicans, elected Republicans, willing to go on television and defend him, no matter how ridiculous a pretzel they have to twist themselves into. Why would we ever believe these people will stand up to him? Why do we think there is some line he's going to cross that will finally wake them up? What line hasn't he crossed yet? Whatever the investigations of him, his campaign, his staff, his associates find, there will always be some justification, some excuse. They'll blame the fake news media or Democrats, or just redefine what it means to obstruct justice until it's completely meaningless. So yes, I expect him to make it all the way through his first year. And I hope I'm wrong, obviously. I hope the Mueller investigation saves us all. I hope it involves criminal charges. And the reason I'm hoping for all that is because I am ready for all of this to be over. I am ready for the stupidity and the ignorance and the destruction of basic American values to end. I know we're not going to end up with a good president if Trump goes. Pence would be terrible. And if somehow he's gone too, it's Republicans all the way down the line. So I'm not hoping for a good president out of this. But if you listen to this podcast, you understand just how historically bad Donald Trump is and how 
critically important it is we get rid of him and move on as a country. There's normal bad. This is not normal bad. This is not normal at all. And I'm hoping, as much as you are, that Republicans wake up and see that. I'm hoping, but I'm not hopeful. If there's any moment for Republicans to step up and make it clear they'll hold Trump accountable, it's now. There was a a flood of late-breaking news Thursday night as I was putting this podcast together. First, there was a Washington Post story saying Trump's lawyers are working on a multi-pronged defense, which includes trying to discredit Mueller himself and figuring out whether the president has the power to pardon himself. They're especially worried that Mueller will have access to Trump's tax returns, and we know he doesn't want those getting out. Then, both his main lawyer, Mark Kasowitz, the guy I said last week wouldn't be fired, resigned, and the spokesman for his legal team resigned as well. So here's what we know. The White House and Trump's outside legal counsel are in utter chaos, and Trump is considering discrediting and possibly firing Mueller, or even pardoning himself. Which means we're pretty much in full-blown constitutional crisis mode. The only way we can get out of it is for Republicans to make clear that if Trump fires Mueller or tries to pardon himself, they immediately, immediately begin impeachment proceedings. But I don't think that's very likely. And this is the moment for them to step up because the investigation is heating up in a major way. Uh, I want to take a step back and talk about this interview Trump did with the New York Times Wednesday because it was extraordinarily revealing. But there were two moments that were especially important. The first was when Donald Trump threw his attorney general under the bus. This was a huge, huge embarrassment for Jeff Sessions. And while I can't stand Donald Trump, anything that makes Jeff Sessions unhappy is fine with me. Here's what Trump said. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Was that a mistake? Well, Session should have never recused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. He gave you no heads up at all. Zero. Okay. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, gets into the job, recuses himself. I then have, uh, which, which frankly, I think it's very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. That's another sign of how far around the bend we've gone. A year ago, it would have been impossible to imagine a president saying something that vicious about his own attorney general. You would ask your attorney general to resign long before you would ever say something like that in public. Let's be clear, this is absolutely humiliating for Sessions, and I'm surprised he didn't resign that day. Or maybe I'm not surprised. It's Jeff Sessions. He has a horrific agenda that he is determined to enact, and he's not giving up his power that easily. But to be told by the President of the United States he wishes he had never hired you has to be a blow. I'd almost feel bad for Sessions if he weren't one of the worst people on the planet. So that was the first moment. The second moment was a warning to Robert Mueller that investigating Trump's finances were outside the scope of Mueller's duties, which 
of course, is absurd. It's possible that Trump and his family and his associates' financial ties to Russia have a direct impact on the investigation. And it looks like Mueller heard the message from Trump loud and clear, because the very next day after the interview, Bloomberg had a story about how the scope of the investigation has expanded to include Trump's businesses. Because while Trump says he doesn't have any business in Russia, he always conveniently leaves out all the business he's done with Russians in the United States. How many of them buy his properties, for example? Mueller has also taken over a money laundering investigation involving Paul Manafort that stopped when Trump fired U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, who's become a fierce critic of the administration. Mueller's looking into the Bank of Cyprus, where Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross used to be vice chairman. He's looking into Jared Kushner's finances, too. Mueller wouldn't be looking this deep into Trump and his associates' books without good reason. My guess? He's already found some pretty damning evidence, and the financial investigation is a hunt for motive and quid pro quo. I've done my best not to put on a tinfoil hat and fall too deep into speculation, and I'm going to do my best to stick to that and not throw out any theories. But you should read that Bloomberg story. There's a link on the website to that story and all the stories I cover today. Because the picture it paints is very bad for Trump. It shows Mueller is going deeper than any of us may have imagined, and Trump and the people around him could be in serious trouble. And they know it. So, maybe I'm a little hopeful. Maybe we'll finally get to see the lines even Republicans won't cross for Trump. Speaking of lines you shouldn't cross, you know what's bad? S-E-X. You shouldn't do it. It's dirty and wrong, and you're bad for even thinking about it right now. Thank goodness we have the moral, upright example of the pussy grabber-in-chief to set us straight. That's why we don't need to worry about things like sex education or teen pregnancy anymore. With the righteous Donald Trump in the White House, we never have to worry about dirty sex stuff happening ever again. Which is why it's completely fine that the Department of Health and Human Services has just cut five programs aimed at preventing teen pregnancy. Oh, it gets worse. These weren't just programs, they were five-year-long studies. And Trump just took away their funding after only two years. That means all the work they've put into research is now useless. These were programs designed to figure out the best way to prevent teen pregnancies and to make sure teens, especially girls, had the critical information they need about their own health. And it goes without saying, but if you want to reduce the number of abortions, reducing the number of unwanted pregnancies is a great way to do it. But this is the first step in what is sure to be a shift back toward funding nothing but abstinence-only education. That's when nerds visit your kids' schools and tell them touching themselves will lead to cancer and holding hands is a one-way ticket to HE double hockey sticks. Then they make them all sign virginity pledges and your kids go out and impregnate each other because they don't know how not to do that. We are... So dumb about teens and sex in this country, sometimes we forget how stupid and hormonal we all were. The science is clear. Abstinence-only education leads to more pregnant teens. Look, I'm a dad. I get it. None of us want to think about our kids eventually having sex lives. But Jesus, why are we so stupid about this? Trump just took money away from scientists figuring out the best way to keep teen girls from getting pregnant. Maybe he doesn't want them to know what they're doing when he starts dating them in five years.
I want to touch quickly on a few foreign policy issues. The first is one I've talked about a lot on this podcast, the dust-up between Qatar and a bunch of other Gulf states. Trump has taken sides in the dispute against Qatar, which makes no moral sense, since countries on both sides have citizens responsible for funding terrorism, and also makes no strategic sense, because our largest military base in the Middle East is in Qatar, housing about 11,000 American troops. Which is probably why Secretary of State Tillerson and Secretary of Defense Mattis keep trying to get Trump to stop sticking his stupid nose in the middle of the fight. But he keeps doing it, including this week, suggesting that finding an alternative to our base in Qatar would be easy. He said lots of other countries would build one for us, and just like Mexico has already done with our beautiful border wall, they'd pay for it. Our big, beautiful, transparent border wall. You didn't think it could get done, did you? Look, I don't know much about building huge military bases. Maybe it's super easy, but maybe we shouldn't be endangering the positions or even the lives of the troops who are in Qatar right now. Maybe we should be working on resolving the crisis instead of taking sides, the stupidest possible strategy in this fight. But just because Tillerson is better than his boss on this issue doesn't mean he's a paragon of virtue. For example, Foreign Policy reported this week that Tillerson is likely shutting down the State Department's office that deals with war crimes. So much of what goes on in Washington is about sending messages. That's a phrase I use a lot on this podcast, and this is a good example, because shutting down that office sends a powerful message to our allies and our adversaries. It says the United States is stepping away from the table when it comes to human rights. It says we don't care about war crimes. And as we embrace Russia and alienate our NATO allies, that message becomes even clearer. And yes, we are embracing Russia further. And here's an important example. But first, when I hear the phrase CIA program to arm rebels, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. There is a long history of imperialism and violence that should make any American uncomfortable. But that said, Trump's decision to end a program where the CIA armed Syrian rebels to fight both ISIS and Bashar al-Assad is clearly a gift to Russia. Remember, he just met with Putin last week and then immediately stops funding the biggest threat to Assad, it's hard to see that as a coincidence and not a gift. And while there are lots of reasons to question our strategy in Syria, the worst thing we could possibly do is put Vladimir Putin in charge of it. Did you know the government can just take your shit? It's true. Law enforcement in most states can do something called civil forfeiture, which is a fancy legal term that means taking your shit. You, you don't even have to be convicted of a crime in many places, just accused. And if you want your shit back, you have to go through a lengthy and costly and uncertain legal process. But, of course, police departments never abuse this power, right? They would never keep your shit just because it's a significant source of funding for them. Of course they would, and they do. And under the Obama administration, the Department of Justice began to institute reforms to reduce asset forfeitures, because police shouldn't just be allowed to take your shit when you haven't been convicted of a crime. But Jeff Sessions, remember Jeff Sessions? 
It's a podcast about Jeff Sessions. Believes police should be able to take your shit whenever they want. So he's reversing the Obama-era policy and literally encouraging police to start taking your shit whenever they want. When Sessions made this announcement, there was immediate outrage. But it wasn't just from the left. If anything, I saw more outrage from the right, who sees asset forfeiture as a gross abuse of government power. And in this case, they're absolutely correct. It's one thing to take the profits earned in the commission of a crime that has been proven in a court of law. It's another thing to just take your shit because they want a new espresso machine for the precinct. Folks, it was a bad week for you if you're the kind of person who wants to take healthcare away from tens of millions of Americans. The Senate healthcare bill did not have a good week. On Tuesday, uh, I went to a rally across the street from the Capitol building opposing the Senate bill, and the very next day, it essentially died. I'm not saying I'm personally responsible for killing the bill. I'm just letting you draw your own conclusions about cause and effect. But this is politics, and if there's one thing politics has in common with comic books, it's that things that are dead can often come back to life. Just look at Mark Sanford's career, and I'm pretty sure Orrin Hatch has died at least six times. So there's a good chance we'll see Trump Care come back for round, I think the next one is round 11. But it was good news to see it take a fall. And now Trump is trying a new tactic. Well, he's retrying an old tactic. As I've always said, let Obamacare fail and then come together and do a great health care plan. Stay tuned! He suggested repealing Obamacare and replacing it down the road. Only, that's a terrible idea. That would never work. Remember the sequester? We're still under the sequester. If we repealed Obamacare and delayed passing a replacement, there would never be a replacement. And that's why Republicans roundly rejected it when Mitch McConnell suggested calling it for a vote. So Trump called all the GOP senators to the White House for a lunch and had this fun moment with Senator Dean Heller of Nevada, who's gone back and forth on voting for the Trump Care bill. This was the one we were worried about. You weren't there, but you're going to be. You're going to be. Look, he wants to remain a senator, doesn't he? Okay. And I think the people of your state, which I know very well, I think they're going to appreciate what you hopefully will do. Notice how the room falls into dead silence when he threatens Heller's seat. And by the way, Trump has the politics backwards on this one. He lost Nevada in November. The Republican governor fiercely opposes Trump care. If Heller votes for this bill, and for some reason they're having a vote next week, it will be an albatross around his neck in a very difficult election year for him. That's what's so mystifying about Trump care. It's terrible policy. It takes insurance away from millions of people. It raises premiums on people who need the coverage the most. It makes insurance less useful by failing to cover what people need covered. And it's also terrible politics. Republicans are painting themselves into a corner. I'm looking forward to that vote next week, especially to see what Heller does. Trump essentially threatened him. So will Heller defy him or do what Trump tells him to do? Meanwhile, since they're not having much luck repealing Obamacare, the administration is doing everything in its power to undermine it. For example, they're taking money meant to promote the exchanges to get people to sign up for insurance they need and using it on videos to trash Obamacare. This is a very real thing the administration is doing. Just listen to this clip from one of the videos made with your tax dollars. And we law almost lost Jake because our government was expanding 
Obamacare through Medicaid, and they had to make cuts, and they cut these 1,200 fragile kids like Jake. Did you notice how that made no sense? She says because we expanded Medicaid to more people, it pushed out the people who really need it. But that didn't happen. We expanded it. No one lost Medicaid coverage because of Obamacare. The federal government literally paid for more people to join Medicaid. So instead of producing ads helping people sign up for healthcare coverage, your government is producing ads lying to you to stop you from signing up for healthcare coverage. Donald Trump is a bad person. Finally, folks, the White House announced this week was Made in America Week. And for once, unlike with his regular trips to Mar-a-Lago and other Trump properties, the president wasn't promoting his own products. You can't promote your own products for Made in America Week when they aren't made in America. But that doesn't mean there isn't any news about Mar-a-Lago. To celebrate Made in America Week, Mar-a-Lago applied for the right to hire 70 foreign workers, housekeepers, waiters, and cooks. At least Trump is keeping his promise to create jobs. They're just not jobs for Americans. That's it for another week with a walking, talking constitutional crisis as our president. Stay in touch, won't you? Email me with your ideas and thoughts at the Trump scorecard at gmail.com. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Trump scorecard. Annoy me on Twitter at Jesse Burney. And find links to all the stories in today's podcast at our website, thetrumpscorecard.org. I'm looking to make some big upgrades soon to the podcast, but I cannot do it without your support. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Trump scorecard and join the truly amazing people who are helping me bring this podcast to you every week. Patreon.com slash the Trump scorecard. The other night I was very surprised when I heard a couple of my friends, my friends, they really were and are. They might not be very much longer, but that's okay. <laughs> the Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal. Normal.